Welcome back to How to Reach the West Again, a podcast that aims to inspire and empower a fresh missionary encounter with Western culture. I'm your host, Brandon O'Brien. In this season, season two of the podcast, we're talking about cities. What are they? What does the Bible say about them? How do we plant churches there? What does it mean to really love and serve our cities? Our guest today is Nilsa Oyola. Nilsa is Executive Director of City to City Miami and Program Manager for Iglesia Floreciente, an initiative designed to equip Hispanic churches to partner with their communities in pursuing the common good as a witness to the gospel message in the transforming presence of the kingdom of God. Before we jump into that conversation, I want to take a moment to zoom out and recap where we've been in the last couple of weeks. This is the third episode in a row that we've dedicated to elaborating on the idea of contextual churches. Bishop Ray Rivera explained in episode four that the context all of us minister in is the context of captivity. Coming to terms with that has implications for how we operate in our cultural context. In episode 5, Robert Guerrero explained the dangers of developing metrics and strategies for ministry in the majority culture context and then trying to apply them or hold people accountable to them in other contexts. And in today's episode, Nilsa Oyola describes how she helps Hispanic pastors root their ministry concretely in their local context through the community-based model of church planting and how she helps them connect to a broader spiritual context by exposing them to the theological resources of Hispanic practitioners and thought leaders. So here we go. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Thank you for inviting me. You have church planning experience in New York City, in the Bronx, and you're now involved in church planting in Miami. Yeah. Miami and New York City are very different kinds of towns. (laughs) <laughs> but what is kind of what, what's similar to the experience of church planting in a city like New York and a city like Miami? What, what are some of like urban ministry things that are true both places? So when it comes to those two cities, they are similar um, in their both um, have people that transition, right? Um, this movement parts going on. Um but they are different in the people that they that live around, right? In the city, it, it's different. Miami is more multicultural, um, but has that Latino. I mean, sixty-two percent of it are Spanish-speaking. Mm. So it comes to language and culture. Although multicultural, you know, you have Latin, a lot of Latin Americans live here, um, apart from Cubans that make about 70% mm. of the population here in Miami. So it, it is it is more rich in terms of culture when it comes to the Latino and Hispanic versus New York. I think um, it is more international in that way. Okay. They have a strong Hispanic presence because New York, I believe, is I could get my statistical data right. It has the largest population of Latinos, but it is more, um, if I can use this term loosely, Americanized, <laughs> if you will, right? It has adopted some of that culture. And versus here, the Latinidad of being a Latino in Miami 
is is very um, present. So those are the differences that I can say. And because of that, the way that you will plant the church in New York and the way you plant the church in here is totally different. Apart from the big, huge differences that here is more laid back, New York is go, go, go. In <laughs> um, here, you have to drive a car everywhere. <laughs> Forget about walking. Um, you also have the weather, right? Um, don't ever leave your house at 12 o'clock. I guarantee you, you will be dehydrated. Right? <laughs> in New York City, it's totally the opposite. And in some ways, in New York City, when it comes to church plants, it, it allows for sort of that community building, right? And I'm going to use that term loosely because some will argue that, again, um, Miami has uh, that sense of community and culture. But when you have to drive everywhere, it's less contact with people versus when you take a train and you're meeting people and you get into know people's stories, right? Um, when you go to the bodega in the corner, especially in an urban setting, you know the people in the bodega, you right, you, you just uh, or even in your local a supermarket, on your neighbor, you've got the housing projects. I mean, all these things are different. You have people going in, in, in bicycles, all the walking, you know, like all that, the New York City, the wishes of New York City, it is different in here. Mm. And for me, kind of was like a culture shock. Mm. <laughs> I thought because we were Latino, everyone going to Kumbaya. And brother, <laughs> I thought I was surprised, surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it was just hard. So it's totally a different context when it comes. Two cities that affect global economy, two cities that are central. Uh, but even in there, because of the history of even Miami, how Miami was uh, founded, um, it was founded in wealth. A little bit uh, different, although New York City too, but um, it's a little bit different the way that you look at even the economy here in Florida versus New York City. But they're both two cities that have pockets of poverty, that have community needs, right? Um, that struggle in so many areas. One of the similarities is immigration, right? I just saw, you know, buses of immigrants from Texas coming to New York City, right? And here, not too long ago, uh, they stopped two, um, I think, um, uh, boats that were hundreds of people mm. from um, Cuba, I believe, that were coming here to the country. So, you have those similarities, but when it comes to building community and church plant, especially if you are a community church, the way to go about it is going to be totally different. So you are navigating uh, some cultural differences in a move from New York City to Miami. You've church planted both places and have talked a little bit about the way those cultural contexts are different. You're also navigating another cultural difference, which is you are a woman in church planting in a field which is historically very male dominated can you tell me how you got started in uh, in ministry and how that um kind of your beginnings in ministry as as a woman in, in church planting what how did that go how did, what did that look like well actually it, it started if i can say that i'm a little charismatic <laughs> in the womb of my mother <laughs> 
<laughs> um, we have a line of evangelists and, and pastors, and my grandmother was a missionary. Uh, so, you know, so faith has been a strong part, uh, good and then not so good as well. That impacted my life. Um, but as I actually came to New York when I was 12 years old, didn't know the language, but I had those challenges, all right? Um, I was also raised in foster care. So that impacted even the way I looked at ministry and even I looked at my relationship with God. Um, so oftentimes I, I, I try to sort of excel just to prove, right? Myself, uh, one of being who I was, and then to also being a woman. And um, some say that I did pretty good. <laughs> I ended up being an executive and a senior vice president in the South Rome, running an economic development corporation there, uh, all that, right? Uh, but I say that to say that always uh, it was present being uh, a woman being a challenge, right? not only in those times, I'm talking about <laughs> 20 something years ago, <laughs> uh, me young and being in that type of leadership position and, um, and then struggling with the tension of my faith, right? But institutionalized religion, like some of the same things that we struggling today, right? And, and, and my call for ministry and, um, and I fought it. I mean, believe me, I fought it. I didn't want to be a minister at all, but I was already doing ministry in the community in the South Bronx. That's what I did, economic development, right? But I didn't see it. I didn't link that. And it wasn't until one day, this is true story, how it happened. Uh, it was the coldest day in New York City. And this pastor that his wife ha happened to work uh, with me under my leadership, um, she had been inviting me to go to the church in Harlem. And they are um, from um, a black church, right? Uh, in Harlem, Methodist church. So they invited me, blonde hair, Hispanic, but an acting, imagine. So I was already like, I don't want to go there. But this day, the coldest day in New York City, I got up and, and I just went to the church. So when I go into the church, beautiful church, I think it's a hundred years old, right there in Harlem. They were about to, uh, the pastor was going to pray to actually dismiss everyone because the, the boiler got messed up and whatever, right? And, and they didn't have heat. But in their tradition, in the Methodist tradition, they got what they call the, the elderly uh, woman, the mothers of the church. I saw this woman dressing white, and I was like, what is this? You know, like it wasn't my tradition. And as I walked in and the pastor said, well, you know, I think I should dismiss everybody is to call. The mothers of the church said, no, pastor, God gave you a word. Give us the word. Give us the word. And then this blonde girl comes in. And they all look back with their big hats and, you know, dressing white. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and the pastor goes, come in, daughter. Come in, daughter. And there, his message touched me. And in talk, he was preaching about the prodigal son. 
And he said, come back home, come back home. And in the Methodist tradition, all you have to do, you go into the front and you become a member right there. That's Sunday. You have to do no one-on-one church. So, <laughs> and I was, and that was the door, really. And it was interesting because I didn't end up in a, in a um, Latino church. I ended up in an Afro-American Black church in Harlem, in the Methodist tra- tradition, when I come from the Pentecostal one. So imagine two totally two different worlds. And um, they took me under the wing. And I actually, that's where I answered the call. <laughs> actually became ordained uh, in the Methodist Episcopal uh, Church. I like to think that things have improved and that certain opportunities are more available now for women in ministry in the evangelical and church planning spaces that we occupy, but I assume that there are still challenges for operating in the roles that you operate in. What, what do you, what do you feel like are the kind of, kind of key challenges for you in, in the world you're inhabiting? I know the big elephant in the room is the theological resistance, right? But that's another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Not gonna argue that one, um, but that is real. Mm-hmm. It's very real. Um, we often feel the value that we have to work twice as far. I mean, same thing in the secular. I mean, we bring it back. The difference is that in the secular now, um, even five hundred Fortune companies have realized the value and the gifts and the talents of women and give them space um, that many years ago they wouldn't. It's not a large space, but still they have recognized that the church is still not necessarily there. So as a result, um, and depending again of your tradition, we don't have the same positions. We might do the same functions, but our titles are different. Um, we may not, they may not be so open to uh, put a woman appreciating uh, in leadership. And even in our culture, even in our Latino culture, right, the machismo uh, mindset is still there. So to overcome those um, truly is by the grace of, of God that we can do it. And, and they expect a lot from women as well. Um, the good thing is that we do deliver. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> no, you got me. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. What do you think is a unique contribution that women make in the church planting conversation? Well, I would say, well, first of all, I, I remember one time. I was telling my my kids and hence also my husband one day. If you were to pay a woman for every role that we have, hmm. you guys would be broke. <laughs> I mean, we are cooks, we are mother, we are budgeters, we are, you know, drivers. I mean, you name it. And I say that not to boast or anything like that, right? Or that we're trying to compete with men, but our God has gifted us with resiluency um, and communication skills. We tend to be more team players. I mean, these are the things that even 
um, Fortune 500 companies have researched and have made the decisions based on those because they realize that women are the ones that, okay, let's go about business. At least a great percentage of them, right? They are more sharp They uh, in, in, that, in that arena, right? In making it happen, detail-oriented. Um, they... Um, they the more aggressive in terms of perhaps taking risks, um, knowing that if this is what I need to do to get to where I need to get, I'm gonna go ahead and do it. They're not afraid to ask. Um, they tend to be more um, cultivate, right? Interpersonal relationships in a more um, lasting way, if you will, right? Uh, we really develop those um, relationships we tend to be again highly resistant even in the face of hardship i mean if you if you think about our makeup right um even in the in, when it comes to rejection even when it comes to failure um again we try very hard uh of doing things and um so i think that that are our soft skills and we have the hard skill women are also getting educated even in the church planting world, you know, you have women that are theologians um, that are really bringing forth, right, um, theology and being in the spaces that predominantly have been men. And I think the church, not to begin to recognize those skills, will be a detriment to the church and to those instead of because it can be a benefit. Um, I always say this analogy, right? It's I'm not a feminist, <laughs> right? So I'm not trying to be a man or anything like that. But I do think that God has given us gifts and talents. Um, the book of Acts have prominent women, Lydia, right? Um, Dorga, they were there for a reason. And they funded the ministry of Paul. Right? So, um, and someone can argue the other side, right? But the truth is that they do have gifts and talents. And those gifts and talents are not a specific for one person, but for the entire body of, of Christ and for the benefit and the edification of the body of Christ. And when you sort of silence that part, then the whole body is not benefiting. So uh, if I use that analogy, right, all the the body parts are needed, right? They all don't make the same functions, but without one, you really not whole. Um, and I think that's the part where maybe the church can be a little bit more open. I want to shift uh, in our conversation here to one of your um, sort of focuses in your work, which is your work with Iglesia Floreciente. Um, which is designed to equip Hispanic churches to partner with their communities in pursuing the common good or shalom as a witness to the gospel message and the transforming presence of the kingdom of God, um, which is a beautiful vision. And there's a lot of terms in that description that we could unpack. Let's start with the idea of shalom. What is that? What does shalom look like in a, in an urban neighborhood in Miami, where you're in service now? Well, we know that Shalom, what is Shalom? Right? It's the peace of God. 
the peace of God that restores all things, all fallen things, right? We live in a fallen world, in a capital world. The shalom of God is, is the one, right? It's that common good. Um, so for us, when you try to visualize what shalom will be, is creating that sense of belonging, a sense of community, relationship, um, a shared purpose or a common good and people coming together in divine connections, if you will, to address the needs of our community, whether it is housing, employment, whether it's education, right? Health care. So when you have not one person, but you have the church building bridges with the community together, that, for me, at least, is shalom. Yeah. And you've mentioned the priority there of the needs of the community, the partnership of the church with the community. Um, and it, it's in this definition, but in some other material, you talk about the um, kind of community-based model of ministry. Uh, can you tell us what that is and how, it's, how it differs from more traditional church planting? And let me start with a disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the opinion of Redeemer City. <laughs> 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 in my own experience as a church planter, right? And being also in a traditional setting as well. And um, and I think that both serve its purposes. There's many other models. I mean, you have the house church model and the uh, what are the hybrid model or mixed model, you know, and so many other uh, models as well. Um, but this tool specifically, in my own experience with the traditional model, has been more of like come and see versus go and see. So if I were to put it in short, Come and see means that traditional model of how Allen Church will call it attractional church model, right? Mm. Come and see what God is doing in our church. Okay, yeah. That's a more traditional and in some ways more attractional model versus the more community-based ministry model is more being sent, right? Let, let me go and see what's happening in the community. And based on that, right, then we're going to get together to attend, to, to reflect, truly reflect what the community that God has put us in there, if that is our intention, um, so then the gospel of Jesus <clears throat> can transform lives, community, but also impact that city where you are. Right. So if that's the mission of your church, um, then it needs to have different type of elements. Um, and it's based, if you will, uh, in Isaiah 61, right? That peace, again, that shalom of God, that holistic approach, um, that when you bless, uh, in, in order to, 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 to receive a blessing, you got to bless your city as well, right? When people were, when they, when they were in exile, he called them to, right? To, to be there, to bless the city. But yeah, you're in exile, right? Mm -hmm. So it is sort of that, um, that framework. 
And there are some elements um, that I think that are important that are, that are different between a tra uh, more attractional, traditional model, right? With the, the pastor, you got some activities going on in the church, all good, but it's mostly, you know, let me invite people to come and, um, and, and join and worship with us here, mm -hmm. inwardly rather than outwardly, right? Um, so, for instance, in a... In a community more based model, you attend uh, to the needs of the people. So that's one thing. You go and you see what's going on in my community, what are some of the needs, and how we as the church can help. You also um, do what we call the asset based uh, community uh, development uh, mapping, right? You want to know what is already things that are in the community that can be resources to the church. Um, there are different pillars in a community, right? There's schools, there's government, um, again, there are organizations, businesses, and the church is one of them. In my opinion, it should be the strongest but it's not the only one, right? And as a result, we need to collaborate with this other entity. So making sure that we do collaboration, understanding what God is already doing, what other type of organization, how can I come alongside of that? Even including other faith bases and even other churches, it's important to understand that one church cannot do it at all, all together, that we need more people. Also, the fact of leadership development is another aspect within this model, right? Bringing um, or raising indigenous uh, leaders from the community, from the church. Sometimes we bring people from outside and sometimes you have to do that. But in this model, you want to be homegrown, yeah. if you, right? You want to do that. Um, it, also in a community um ministry model, you have that servant uh, leadership attitude, if you will, right? To give, to serve, it's part of your DNA. Um, even when it comes to funding, it can be more creative, right? Because right? oftentimes, you know, as a church planting, you're working with a budget, it becomes hard at times, that passes are by vocational. But in this type of model, um, you can be creative, right? You got grant writing, you can start of non-for-profits that can bring uh, external revenue to the church. And depending where you are, maybe the people, you can't just rely on maybe on your tithings and your offerings, right? Because that might not even be something, a tradition that the people that you are trying to serve even have, right? So it becomes, it can become difficult. But in this type of model, it's more community. It's looking at the resources that you have in the community. How do we come alongside of that? Also looking at the church with the same lens. What are the gifts and talents that we have within that church that can help hmm. both identify needs in the community? You mentioned in, a, um, in some of the uh, explanation about the way the training works for Iglesia Floreciente is that you're, you're helping Hispanic church leaders um, draw on the theological and ministerial resources of the Hispanic church. And so I'm curious how, for people who may not be familiar, what, how would you describe the, 
um, some of those resources, some of the theological and ministerial heritage that help you in the, the work that you're doing? But one of the things that we try to um, encourage is to draw from our culture, right? From our own, and I'm going to say theology, and this way um, might not be a seminary, might not be right, uh, even Western, <laughs> most of it it is, right? But it is based on our living experiences uh, and culture and how that has drawn us uh, to God. I know Shao Romero, um, in his book, The Brown Church, he called um, some of those uh, shared experiences and where we have learned theology, the grandmother theology. Right? Mm -hmm. Often it is the grandmother who have taught you to come to Gerald Force you to come to church <laughs> or have taught you those values of compassion, of by sharing all those things, right? And especially in the Latino context. So when it comes, and even the sense of community, family, all those things that Latinos are known for, right? And we have those strong uh, ties. Um, so drawing first from that, from our culture. But even, you know, uh, in, in that, how that informed our theology, right? The way that we describe our relationship with God, our nature of God, right? That, that study, how that has informed us. And even um, how do we um, even honor those? You know, we may have come now to uh, a, a pastor. I was talking to a pastor yesterday and she was describing it this way. Um, I asked her, so how long your church plan's been there? She happens to be a female pastor. And she said, well, I spent 20 years in the Old Testament and one year now in the New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> but she said, but I have to honor the Old Testament because in there, and this is this is kind of, I put a, a picture in your mind, what I'm trying to say. She said, in there, I learned to, to, to live in community, to respect um, even um the Bible, I think, to know the Bible. I mean, we spent so many days at church in community. I mean, it became sort of our family. And, and even if out of that became also some growing pains, if it wasn't for that, I perhaps wouldn't be where I'm here today, understanding that I need to go a little bit more in the New Testament, right? Mm, yeah. uh, but those, you have to honor that. So we don't want to disregard that is how do we learn from our culture, how do we learn from our theology, our history, and how we can draw it from and apply it in what we're doing to, today. Because I think it's important. Our history as, as, a, as a Latino community is, is rich. Do you find pastors in who are involved in this training, do you find that they're they're already aware of a lot of this um, kind of the richness of their own heritage and tradition and they're like glad to embrace it? Or do you find that they're surprised to find what kinds of resources exist already in the kind of Hispanic church traditions? Most of the time they were like, they're like surprised because the truth is that if you go to seminaries, most of the seminaries that we know, um, 
when I went to seminary, I didn't learn about René Padilla. I didn't know who Justo Gonzalez was. Um, you know, I didn't know who are people that, even in my own um, heritage of the Puerto Rican, uh, a person like Agustina Nunez, uh, she's a well-known theologian in Puerto Rico. I didn't know. Because most of the information that I received, but, but from a different context, um, didn't speak to my culture. It wasn't my voice. You know, it was a more um, Anglo voice, uh, Western voice. Um, so for most people, they, they it's not that are too many or maybe not accessible, we still need to access more, but because... Uh, it hasn't been the norm. Mm -hmm. It brings that aha moment. And and we and I think this is why Iglesia Floreciente has been sort of an awakening in the church uh, that we are working with, right, in the community churches, because they can see themselves, ah, we got something to contribute. Mm. We have a voice. And most people want to have a voice, right? Want to talk from their experiences and their heritage and, and embrace that. And even the ones that might be Latinos and might be second, third generations, it's a learning experience. And they, they then that they could come and appreciate their history and not knock it down, so to speak. What are you seeing as fruit coming out of this training, when someone has an aha and they see the value of their own heritage and they hear their own voice and they bring that into ministry, what are you seeing as the result of those things? One, I think, and this is why I love the Brown Church, um, because um, I shall remind says we Brown, not necessarily because, you know, we might be dark, light, you know, we got different complexions of skin, wrong because we often are the middle child. Mm. It may not fit in this category or fit in that category. So we kind of like in the middle. Mm. Um, so when they find the place within themselves, then it gives them sort of sometimes that courage to speak. Mm. And then now they see things in a different way. They are um, sense of, uh, of wholeness, right, in God as well, and understanding, you know, what I'm a child of God, I have something to, that I don't need to hide, I could borrow from others, but I could also stand on my own two feet, mm. and then how can I embrace that now in the ministry, right, how can I, even from the pulpit, talk about my heritage and my traditions, how can my congregants can learn from that and feel also, uh, Proud, but not proud in a, in a sense, you know, in a, in a condescending way and overpowering way, but but feel proud that the God, God made me. I'm a, in, made in the image of God, and I have my own wishes. If you think in terms of a city ecosystem, in a city like Miami, where there are lots of different kinds of communities, lots of different um, kinds of churches and neighborhoods, what is the gift that these Hispanic churches in that are kind of part of the Iglesia Floresiente training and that, that that are influenced by these things. What is the gift that those churches offer the whole kind of church planting movement in a city? So when um, 
churches that are Latinos that have been there that are connecting with the community have the language, are empowered, then I think it brings not only that, but it brings unity to the church, especially small churches that are the one doing that the more indigenous churches working on the ground, right? Um, that may not have all the resources, they, they'll come together. They know they're not alone. I mean, we have right now about in our incubator or church planting training about 23 uh, leaders and representing about 12 different churches and nine of them are Latino led. But the other ones are not. We got Afro-American descent. Um, we got some from the Caribbean. And we have, we actually uh, did it um, intentionally. We did a bilingual incubator. So we put them all together. And in the beginning, the Hispanic leaders tend to be very quiet. Most of the time in these spaces, they have not been given the opportunity, right? To speak sort of, or contribute. But now in learning all the things that they're learning in Iglesia Floresciente and about their heritage, about, you know, um, community engagement and, 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 and the tools that we have been providing them, they feel now like, yes, now I can. And, and the posture is different. It's totally changed. And it's not a posture to say, hey, I'm here now in the room, but to contribute. And now when they speak, they speak from that passion. And the ones that are listening, I actually... Um, appreciative of them and they are being blessed and that is something that I have not seen before um, even in New York City if you want. When you imagine Miami in 10 years or 20 years or something if if churches are really committed to the unity in the gospel seeking the shalom of their neighborhoods, et cetera. What, what do you see for Miami? Like a, a, a vision for the future of the city, if the kinds of things you're doing now were to really take root in, in the churches in the city? We're going to see more lives transform and communities transform, and not just in words, right? Oh, in theory, but actually in action. That means we're going to see more community programs. We're going to see more collaborations. I mean, I just got out of a meeting uh, with uh, the Miami Council, faith-based council that comes from the government office. And it's a nonpartisan. Um, and I was invited. So... <laughs> <laughs> but here's the beauty of things, that that is going to continue, right? And now they're asking us to say, you know what? We want those leaders to be part of it. So I think it's gonna be more connections. Um, communities uh, can invest within the community rather than leaving their communities to go and get resources because the community is not providing it for them. Mm. There's gonna be more opportunities to empower that community, to empower the residents because we have done the job of equipping our leaders to engage their community, right? To go to do those asset mapping, to work with what God is working in there. So in 10 years from now, you're gonna see a different gospel of Jesus in there, the true <laughs> So maybe more church multiplication in different forms. 
might not be your mega churches, but instead of having one big church, maybe you have 10 of those. And maybe 10 of those churches are going to come together. Maybe there are more networks of churches working together um, the common good. That is at least my dream and my hope. Yeah. And we hope that with our trainings and with our involvement here in the city, we can bring that sense of belonging. We can bring that bridge builder between the church and the community that you can ask more now. <laughs> <laughs> has declined in the sense that people don't want it now. I about institutionalizers. Maybe we can show them really what the church is about. And it's not necessarily about a building with stained glass with a cross, although they are beautiful, mm-hmm. right? That it is more than that, that the church has a part in the community and an important part in the community and in building the you know, and continue to spread the, the gospel. Thank you so much. And thank you, Nilsa, for being with us today. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. You can learn more about Nilsa's work at City to City Miami, including Iglesia Floreciente, at citytocitymiami.com. Next week, we talk with Chris Hernandez and Robert Elkin, who are both church planters and pastors themselves, but they also coach and train church planters as well. They talk about the unique challenges of city ministry and how the agencies and denominations who serve urban pastors can do so more effectively. How to Reach the West Again is a production of Redeemer City to City. This episode was produced, written, and hosted by Brandon O'Brien. Our associate producer is Braden Gregg. Today's episode was recorded at Roosevelt Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and edited by Lee Jerkins. Redeemer City to City is a nonprofit organization co-founded by Tim Keller and supported by generous people like you. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, Consider leaving us a review and consider making a gift to support this work at RedeemerCityToCity.com slash give.